And now we're going to start getting into the practical aspects of what does it look like uh, to be members of this body, to be members of the kingdom of God. Uh, what should that look like in our lives? Um, we're going to read, if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, this morning we're going to start in verse 17. We're actually going to take it to the end of the chapter, but, but right now let's read through verse 24. Paul says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Boy, we have been digging into this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And boy, we have benefited from your truth and your word. God, this morning, I pray that you would just work in our hearts and open our eyes to just examine our own lives and how we see ourselves with respect to you. God, is the way that we see ourselves the same way that you see us? Is our relationship to you the way we see it, the same as the way you see it? God, I pray that it wouldn't be what David is speaking up here, that we hear this morning, but that we would hear the truth from your word. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open our eyes to see how we can make changes in our life, to walk in the life that you have for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So he says there at the beginning of this passage, in verse 17, Paul says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord. We've seen a couple of times now, Paul, Paul likes to bring his own life into this and say, here, look at my experience. I, I am a, a prisoner for the Lord. I'm a prisoner for Jesus Christ. My life has a calling on it, and now yours has a calling on it too. Look at what God has done in my life and see the reality and truth of what he has called you to. And now he says here, now this I say and testify in the Lord. To me, it's almost like he's saying, look, I, I am in the Lord. Here's, here I am, Paul. I have dove into the depths of God's grace. I have experienced the unsearchable riches of, of, of Jesus Christ, and I am here, and, and just like someone who's done some, some crazy, uh, you know, jump off a cliff or do something crazy, and, and then the next guy's in line to do it, you're ready to tell them, here, this is what you need to know about this. I've been there and done that, and it's exciting, and let me tell you about it. Paul has been there and done that like none other, and he's saying, here, um, now this I say and testify in the Lord. Listen. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You want to experience what it is to really be fully in God's grace 
you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. There's irony here. Who's he talking to? Gentiles. Don't, don't walk like those Gentiles do. Well, he's speaking to Gentiles. In fact, he's addressed them as Gentiles multiple times. Um, in chapter 3, verse 1, we saw it. Uh, he says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles... Uh, in chapter 2, verse 11, he said, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles. But now he's saying, back in verse 17, you must no longer walk as those Gentiles do, as the Gentiles do. What, what's going on there? We've already seen it. We saw it in chapter 2. He's calling us to be a new person, a new people. No longer Jews, no longer Gentiles. He's reconciled us both to himself and he's broken down hostility between each other. And now we are a new people in Christ. And so our identity is no longer as Gentiles. We're a new person, a completely new person. Do you see yourself, since you have put your faith in Christ, as a new person? as a new person. That's how God sees us. All right, we gotta get past this first verse here. Now this I say and testify to the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Actually, I'm gonna still hang out here for just a second. We've seen so much scripture that speaks to us as being new, born again, that started, that, that's life started over again. A new creation. We've been talking about through Ephesians being in the body of Christ, being members with him. And there's so many places where, where we hear that, but do we believe it and do we see that as, as the practice and reality of our lives? There's three questions that I want us to ask ourselves this morning. These are questions that I have asked myself. These are questions that I'm still asking myself. And, and not just to ask ourselves this morning, but in your quiet time with the Lord. Uh, these are big questions. And if you take them seriously, it's probably something that you'll continue to, to ponder through your life as, as the truth of God's word shapes our understanding in our heart. And the first question is, do I know my oneness with Christ? Do I really know it? Because there's so many places that it talks about it. That it talks about us being in Christ. It talks about us being a new creation. In Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That is, that's the old self that was saying to put away the old self. That self has been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's, uni that's being unified with Christ. That's my life united with his. Do I know my unity with Christ, my oneness with Christ? Is that something that in my heart is part of my experience in my life? How do I see myself? 
Well, the ways we see ourselves, and, and I can speak out of my own testimony, but also just in talking to other believers, and it's part of our growth of really understanding the fullness of what Christ has made us to be. We see ourselves, even in this putting off and putting on, as, as almost a third party to these two other persons. I'm putting off this old person, and I'm putting on this new person, and somehow I'm this third person in the mix. That's not what it is. The old is what I used to be and what was crucified with Christ. The new is what I now am. And when I'm putting that on, I'm putting on the characteristics of Christ who I'm unified with. Do I understand my oneness with Christ? Do I really know that in my life? Back in uh, the end of chapter one, we saw just this incredible picture of what God has done in raising Christ in power and giving him to the church, his body. Let's read it again. Um, the last two verses of chapter one, and I don't know why my fingers are fumbling with pages. There we go. Chapter one in verse 22. And he, God, put all things under Christ's feet and gave him, Christ, as head over all things to the church. So Christ has been raised, he's been set over every power and every authority in heaven, and he's been given as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We've been talking about this, how we are members of his body. This is not just figurative speech. There is something substantial about that. It's spiritual but we are the body of Christ. Do we know that in our own life, that I am part of the body of Christ? How that changes things. If I'm a part of the body of Christ, and he has been given power and authority over all things, then when I pray, and I'm praying not, not as David praying, but I'm praying with the intent and purpose and will of the one who I'm a part of, of Christ. Is anything going to stop that? No. And, and we've been promised that. What, what does Christ say? If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. Why? Because I'm acting as a member of his body, in his will, in his purpose. Nothing can stop the purpose of Jesus. Do I see my oneness with Christ in, in my prayer? Do I see my oneness with Christ in how I walk and, and live? If, I, if I'm the hand that's acting on behalf of, of God's purpose, of Christ's purpose to do something, do I need to worry about what resource I have in order to accomplish that? No, because Christ has all authority and all power and he can accomplish it and it's in his power. I'm just the hand. So when Christ says, David, go here and do this, do I need to question whether or not I'm gonna be able to do that? No, not if I'm acting as one who is in the body of Christ, oneness with Christ. Do we see that? And is that a reality in our life? There's a, 
a famous missionary um, by the name of Hudson Taylor. Some of you may have heard of him. In the 1800s, he was a missionary to China, had an incredible, um, incredible fruit in China. Thousands of churches started and people coming to the Lord and and he just went in faith. Just a great example of trusting the Lord and going in faith. And there's a letter that he wrote to his sister that um, you can Google it. Hudson Taylor, um, actually that's, uh, the, the name of our title of our sermon, um, he coined the phrase, at least in a way that, that uh, we use it today, is the exchanged life. And that, <clears throat> that was, I think, the title of his letter to his sister. And he wrote to his sister, and he, and he was confessing in that letter just how he had struggled with... Um, just the, the practical walk of his life, that, that he, he continually was dealing with sin and he couldn't shake it. He wanted the holiness of God. He wanted holiness in his life. He wanted the power of Christ working in his life. And yet, <clears throat> here he is on the mission field, his full life dedicated to Christ and still going, how am I not, not gaining what there is to be gained in Christ? And finally, he gets to the point, he says in the letter, that he realized it really comes down to faith. I just need to trust Christ. So then he strove after faith. I'm going to gain faith. And you, and you look at how he describes the lengths that he went. It, it puts me to shame in how much effort I'm getting to pursue Christ and to pursue faith in Christ. And yet he says, still, he struggled with sin. Still, thoughts and speech, and action, and, and he, he felt like this weak branch trying to suck life and sustenance out of the vine. Jesus is the vine, I'm the branch, and so he had, I love how he describes this, you know, I'm, I'm just this pudgy branch trying to, to pull the sustenance out of Christ, because in Christ is power, in me is weakness, in Christ is, is victory, and in me is failure, and, and I just need to somehow figure out how can I get that into my life. Is that something that you have experienced? Saying, how can I walk in the victory that I hear about in God's word? In Christ, I, I, I'm gonna pray and, I, and I'm gonna seek you and I'm gonna wear what would Jesus do band and I'm gonna see what, what, what would God do and I'm gonna try to walk in that obedience and trying to pull that out of Christ and still frustrated as yet again I find myself repeating the same sins over again. I find myself speaking to my wife or to my kids in a way that is not the way Christ would do it. And I love <laughs> his letter to his sister. It was a letter all about saying that the last few months, God had opened the eyes of his heart to see in a fresh new way the incredible truth of our oneness with Christ. He said, it's not like I'm this outside branch trying to suck sustenance out of the vine. He says, Christ is the whole vine, the, the branches and twigs and flowers and everything. That, that is Christ, and I am in Christ. I'm not outside of Christ trying to pull something into my life. I am in him, and that's not going to change And, and as he started to let that sink into his life, that his new life in Christ was completely in Christ as members of Christ's body, 
that started to make incredible change in how he walked in his mission. So as we're looking into these verses, we're talking about what it looks like to follow Christ. But a way that I have often seen following Christ is Christ is out there and I'm here and I'm following Christ and, and, I, can, and I can go off on another path and somehow leave Christ. That's not how God sees it. I am in Christ, which means even when I feel like I have abandoned Christ, I can't leave Christ. I am in him. So I'm following Jesus in Jesus. So the question to ask ourselves, the first one, do I know my oneness with Christ? All right, now we can continue reading. In verse 18, well, in, in verse 17, he had said, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. It begins with what's in our heart, with what's in our mind, with, with our desires. That, that's, that's where uh, we were, uh, walking according to this world, and, and that's what leads to, to bad action. It's what leads to good action on, on the counter side that we'll see. Um, in verse 19, they have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That's where we were, apart from Christ. But that is not the way you learned Christ. So how did we learn Christ? Verse 21, assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him. I heard about him. Um, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus Christ. I wonder how much here he's kind of reflecting on what he's just been talking about, this ministry of truth and love. I'm in Jesus Christ along with you all. And being taught in Christ, our ministry towards each other is a ministry of truth and love. I've been taught in Christ. I'm in his body learning. I think there's something to that. And what are we taught? To put off the old self, the way that we walked before, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. There in verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Oh, sorry, verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. There's the root, deceitful desires. It was the root back in, with Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, they saw the fruit was, was good to make one wise. Uh, they doubted God's goodness and took the fruit. Um, they saw something that was more desirable than what God had for them. So my second question for us this morning as we're looking at uh, practically my life in Christ, what are my desires? What are the things that motivate me in my life? What are the desires of my heart? 
So we're, we're coming from Ephesians chapter two. We're walking according to the ways of this world and we know that at the root of that is, is deceitful desires and that's what's shaping our life. So if I compare before Christ to after Christ, what has changed in the substance of my desires? Because it needs to change. They're deceitful desires. So what does it mean that they're deceitful? It means that they look like they're okay. It means that, that, that it seems like an okay desire to have in my life, a purpose in my life, uh, a motivation in my life, that, it, that, it's, that it's good and, and will reason that it's good. And if I look at what my life was, I, I really look at my life apart from Christ and consider, you know, I don't think those desires are all so bad. To enjoy the fullness of this life now. What are the kind of desires? Some of them, uh, if, if they're really wrapped up in a selfishness, it, it can be pretty clear that, no, that's, that's not something good. I need to put that away. Um, but what he's saying is that everything that we were before was rooted in these deceitful desires. So now I need to really examine myself. What is motivating me in my life? Is it wrapped up in my position in Christ? Or is it still, am I still holding on to things out here? And how do I break away from that? Because that's gonna be a process. When I came to Christ, I was saved and, and I was justified before God and I, I, my sins were forgiven, but I still, in my mind, had this mindset with where I was in the world. And now there's a process of renewing my mind, of changing what I see as desirable. So what are the desires in my life? Um, so then we get to verse 23. What we need to be doing is to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. How do, how do we go through that process? How do we begin to deal with a change that's, that's fundamentally changing the way I think. I think still, it's, it's this ministry of truth and love. It's the body ministering to each other, saying, no, this is, this is what's true. This is, this is worthwhile. This is the thing that's desirable. And at first, you're gonna go, eh, I'm not sure that that really is so desirable, to lay my life down for Christ. When you first run into that, is that something that's desirable? For me to, to join Christ in his suffering, is that something that's desirable? There's some really hard things, but, but they're all in the hope of Christ, and, and it's a perspective that's completely different that we're learning over time. What are the desires of my heart? We need to ask that question. Hudson Taylor um, in that letter, talked about pursuing faith. How can I really have that faith that I need to walk in victory in Christ? And so he, he pursued it, and, and the way he describes that's incredible, that he just went after it 
with all his being. But then he, he read this letter um, from, who was it, McCarthy, John McCarthy. Yes, John McCarthy. And, and he paraphrased John McCarthy's letter in, in a quote from John McCarthy's letter in that letter to his sister. And that was the event a few months before that God used to open his eyes. And the paraphrase was this, but how to get faith strengthened? How do I strengthen my faith? Not by striving after faith, but by resting on the faithful one. That changed his life. His eyes opened. Boy, I want my own eyes to open. I want to know what it is to rest on the faithful one as the way that I walk in faith. Not just trying my hardest to be one who has great faith. That's not how it was designed. We are one in Christ. And we can rest in the faithful one. Jesus will always be faithful. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13. Very simple, at the end of the section. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. And why? For he cannot deny himself. I'm in Christ. Do you see that connection? Even if, if, if my faith is not strong and I fail and I go off in this other direction. I don't believe God. I don't believe that he's gonna be able to take care of me and so my faith falters and I, and I try to do something in my own strength. He will always be faithful and if we walk in that, I can rest in that. Praise the Lord for his faithfulness. To rest in him. What does it mean to rest in him? It has to take everything I am, everything I own, every, every goal that I have, every dream that I have, and put it all on him. And rest in him, the faithful one. What else does it mean? He's the faithful one. He's faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins. He says in, in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Boy, we need to use that. If we try to walk in power in Christ, holding on to sin, holding on to something in our life, um, we're not gonna be resting in him. We're gonna be struggling with that sin. We need to be a people who are quick to confess our sins. And if we've been holding on to a sin for a good portion of our life, I know what that's like. That's death in my life. That's a foothold for Satan in my life that I can't 
walk in victory while that's in my life. So we need to be a people who confess quickly, and he is faithful. I'm resting in the faithful one by being one who's quick to confess my sin. There's one more reference I want us to look at. Look in Isaiah chapter 40. In verse 29, it says, and this is the one we are resting in. It says, he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord, that's resting in the Lord. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. That word for renew can also be translated exchange. It's his strength exchanged for mine. His life exchanged for mine. And what does it say about us? They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And why? Because we are in Christ, walking in his power. In this song that we're gonna sing at the end, says, you alone can satisfy. Let's worship the Lord and confess that he is the one, the only one that can truly satisfy us. Let's worship.